0: to Criminal Perspective. I'm Chris. I'm Andrew. On this episode, we're going to be talking to a death row inmate in both the states of Ohio and Idaho. Is that correct, Andrew? Idaho? That's correct. I always get Idaho and Iowa confused for some reason. I don't know. And Illinois and just, I don't know. It's too much. Uh, Too much for my little pea brain to remember. But we're going to be talking to Timothy Dunlap. Andrew, what do you know about Timothy Dunlap?
1: Timothy Dunlap is sentenced to death for the shooting and killing of 23-year-old Tanya Crane, who was a bank teller during a botched robbery in 1991. Tim was also sentenced to death in Ohio for the murder of his girlfriend Belinda Polanos with a crossbow just 10 days before Crane's murder. And we'll be <clears throat> and we'll be talking to Tim about both of those murders, and he has some. I guess a very interesting story when it comes to the murder of his girlfriend which we'll talk about he's after. He's an
0: inter- he's an he's an interesting person.
1: Yeah, he definitely is. He's he's been annoying the fuck out of me lately too through JPay and having all <laughs> these attorneys and everybody call me. You don't you don't hear a lot about crossbow murders. No. No. Pretty
0: pretty rare and it, it sounds like it would be a terrible way to die.
1: Yeah, definitely it definitely does. Dying like a deer some shit like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's just yeah, it doesn't sound pleasant at all. But so so Tim is he's housed in Idaho on Idaho's death row, but let's say he was to ever win an appeal and get that conviction overturned, he's not walking free. He's going straight to Ohio to face the death penalty there. I mean, he's already Uh, convicted and sentenced to die in Ohio, but it's just, it's a matter of, right now he's in Idaho, I'm assuming Idaho would kill him first, I I don't know how that works, or if Ohio wants to kill him, they can have him move to Ohio, I have no idea how that works, because if you're appealing in, if you're in Idaho, what are you uh, appealing in Ohio also? And just chilling out in Idaho until you exhaust your appeals in Ohio. And then they're like, all right, ship them up here. We're ready to kill them first. I mean, (laughs) how the fuck does that work? Flip of a coin, I guess. We probably should have talked to, uh, like a lawyer we know or something, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird case, but yeah, he's sentenced to death in two States and and the murders were pretty, pretty gnarly. I mean, just like I said, killing somebody with a crossbow just seems, I don't know, man, there's just some, something barbaric about, it, I guess. Some, I, I don't know. It's just that it doesn't sound good, but uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk to Tim Dunlap for a bit and uh, we'll get the skinny from him.
2: was like, what it was like for you growing up. Well, I lived on a street in New Indiana called St. Joe Road. You were always out, playing in the woods, snow sleigh riding in the winter. We lived there about 10 years. I was born in 68, and about 79 or 80 we moved to a bigger house, and uh, I had a rough ride there. I usually stayed at my grandmother's house because, uh, we didn't, we didn't argue. being a my you all the time, you know. Uh, I was in uh, plays, musicals, I played football, played baseball, didn't play basketball. Uh, I guess that's about it till all this happened, didn't Yeah was there Was there any uh, abuse growing up um, from anybody? Oh no, there wasn't any abuse at all. Anything traumatic that stood out to you that you remembered? Any um bomb? Well we played hit the brick hit the guard the garage door with bricks and my sister who just passed away just past day, she was forty nine she had cancer. Uh was throwing bricks at there, and I kept ducking one time to hit me in the head I had to wind up to the hospital with stitches, you know? So that's very traumatic. You you took a brick to the head? How old were you? Mm-hmm. Oh, you maybe six or seven. She was two years younger than me. Yeah. Um is there anything else that you can think of? Well I chased my brother back in the house and he was a little bitty baby he was on the front porch and he was supposed to be inside. And when I got there the door slammed, the storm door and I ran the hands through it. I had a big cut that required about forty two stitches. So uh I can't think of anything else, you know. Yeah, so basically just a lot of uh, unfortunate accidents. Yeah, a lot of stupid stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what about your uh your teenage years? How were you? Were you a troublemaker? I mean what what was going on then? No, yeah, I was basically uh I played football, got a letter in it, played and uh I was in the plays and musicals. How far along did you go to school? Did you finish high school or go to college or anything like that? I graduated high school, and I joined the uh, Indiana Army National Guard. I went AWOL after two months, and I started going to college at Indiana University Southeast. I was in a play there, and I got in a play uh, right off the bed in, in there. And I was in another play in a museum in New Albany, cheaper by the dozen. Uh, so really, we just hung out fishing, went trying to get lost in the woods, did stupid stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Was there any substance abuse issues going on? I don't drink drugs drugs. We did die that. And nobody in my family drank. Only an occasional beer, maybe you see my dad drink every month or so, hardly at all of them. Okay, so in 1991, you're 23 years old. On October 6th, this was when you were convicted of the murder of Belinda Milano. I was charged with it in 1991, but I was still on the run. They didn't know where I was. And when the murder happened in Idaho, they uh told them they, I was also on in Cincinnati, you know. Yeah, so Belinda was the one in Cincinnati, correct? That's right. Can you tell us what what went on with that particular case? Well, it was either her or me. I found out she was going to kill me. She had a 38 special under the under uh, the seat, and uh, this guy named Charles Castle said, "Well, I can help you take her out." So I shot her in the temple. He shot her in the throat. I got convicted of it, and 90 minutes later after I was convicted, they handed down a death sentence. And then they flew me back to Idaho, where I'd already been convicted and sentenced to death in Idaho, and kept me here in Idaho, and I've been here ever since. So, but Belinda was your girlfriend at the time? Yeah, we went to Florida for about nine days, they taught us, stayed there, got back said she was gonna kick me out of the car, she didn't do that, but she did have a gun. So I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, met this guy named Charles Council, and bad things started to happen. You know. Yeah. And you and you and Belinda did did y'all argue a lot? Well, we never argued. Really? So there's no no domestic violence, no you know arguing, no, nothing like that before this this particular incident. Oh, no, it was either her or me. That's the gospel. on it. Why would she all of a sudden just things would escalate to where she wanted to kill you? Well, what happened is we stopped in one of her friend's houses one night. There's about four people in there, and go was his house in one of the tra- in, a, in a one of those tough sheds or whatever. You know, she was in there smoking pot. I found out. Maybe in the house, and I overheard him saying, "We can take him out right now." And I went back in the car, and a few minutes later, she come out. We drew, drove on. To a hotel and we stayed there. The morning it happened, I just told her we were going sightseeing, took her down to the Ohio River, Charles' councilmate, Nathan, and that's just when it happened, you know. Tim,
1: so, so you said that it was either you or Belinda in that situation, correct? That's right. So she was shot with not one but two arrows with a crossbow. So were you loading the crossbow while she had the gun pointed on you? You know, I can't remember. I either did or it was or One of the zeros did, you know? Right, because I'm just, I'm thinking right now that uh, if someone pulled a gun and you were to load a crossbow, you would be, unless you were the world's fastest crossbow loader, then it'd pretty much I be... Right.
2: shot her in the temple and he shot her in the throat. He took off. I drove on and about six six days later, eight, uh, sixteen days later I wound up dying of money. And I had this psychotic snap in my head that this guy I went to high school with was in the bank and gonna process my information. Was going to fraudulently you let me take money out of the bank. Went in there, all of a sudden, I saw something move that she pushed the alarm, and I just shot. I ran out, got in the car to Boston about, oh, maybe eight hours later, they found me in the hills, or the hills of the Rocky Mountains in Caribou County. And my case has been going on ever since. That was October 16th, 1991, the murder of Tanya Crane in Idaho. Is that correct? That's correct.
1: So Tim, what's so? So you're saying that they hit the alarm and then you killed, shot and killed Tanya?
2: I didn't intend to kill her. I just shot her.
1: Right, because what I'm reading, what I'm reading here um, from the state of Ohio, um, a document that this was a attempted bank robbery gone rob, gone wrong, and she was murdered in the process.
2: When you were initially arrested, did you confess right away, or did you uh, try to, you know, play dumb or, or anything like that? I mean, how, how did? Oh, well, I I you know, I confessed to Sheriff Van Flayton right away in, in the in the wagon. Uh, the next day, I confessed to uh Chief Glenn Wilcox, who's the chief of the Soda Springs Police Department, and I told him what I did in Ohio and what happened here. That's about it. You say that the murder of Belinda was self-defense and you're saying the murder of Tanya Crane was more or less you were insane at the time? Well, I, I you know, whatever. I had a You or know, whatever, uh, that I saw this guy named David Barney had a fight football in high school. I ain't got anything against him, but I thought he was in there. And I was gonna see him when I walked in, you know, and no, he's not a criminal. I just thought he was in there, you know. So this day I've been tested by psychologists and psychiatrists. Did you have delusions or psychosis or, or anything, hallucinations, anything of this sort in the past? Yeah, I sent two state hospitals in Indiana before the murders? Yeah, oh yeah, this is in uh 91, I was in this place called Life Springs in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And uh, I was in a, a state hospital called Madison State Hospital in Indiana. And they uh, diagnosed me with schizoid uh, affective disorder, schizophrenia, and epilepsy. And I've been on medicine for all three ever since I've been in person Now, all this, you go. Know, they committed me. So at State Hospital, I was supposed to live there until I died. And uh, I escaped. I ran off. Come to find out, police in Cincinnati were looking for me, you know. So I guess they knew where I got off to, you know. How did you get committed to these hospitals? Did you voluntarily check yourself in? My, my ex-wife, Jennifer Robinette, said that I was threatening her. I wound up with a telephone harassment charge and the judge hearing some of the evidence on her on her answering machine said, I'm gonna send you to a nut house and get you tested. So I was in there about three weeks and they they said the same thing, schizophrenic schizofor- affective disorder, schizophrenia and epilepsy. It's kinda like that actress Frances Farmer Got all that red hair, you know, and she was having a lot of me on the left side of her head because she was having severe seizures, you know. I've had a few here in prison, you know. But yeah, I was committed to Madison by my mother. She thought I was just nuts. So uh, the judge asked me, "Does you hear her voice done like that? Don't. I said, yeah. And I said, well, you're gone. The rest of your life going to be at the state hospital. So That was in 1991? Yeah. How long was it between the time that you escaped from the state hospital and the time that you murdered Belinda? Four months. Did Belinda know that you were an escapee from a state hospital? Yeah, no, she didn't have any idea. you know. How did you meet Belinda? I was working at this place called Spec Pack. It's where they package you up like Avon stuff and stuff like that. And, uh, thing I know it's a guy named Charles Cantor. He worked there, too, by the way. He, inter- he introduced me to her. He started getting along, started going out, seeing movies, going to malls, going to the McDonald's, stuff like that, you know. But when I first got to Cincinnati, I I got found an apartment the, the very next day for 175 a month, but I had to live there with four other people, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's what happened. This Charles Council guy you keep mentioning, was he ever apprehended or charged? Right. I was arrested at all. i think looking this guy named Roger Daly was arrested. And uh, they thought he did it, and I told him no. This Charles Council who shot her in the neck. And I told him I, what I did. And, uh, I can't even remember how I met this guy. But I don't think it was a spectac. And, uh... He just introduced him to me to himself, introduced me to Linda, and went on from there, you know. So, you know, I've been at numerous newspapers, magazines, like American Rifleman, and all this stuff over editorials, poems, all that stuff about, you know. You're a famous guy, huh? Well, I ain't looking at it like that, but I'm trying to get out of it, you know. If I can get out of it, uh, they already said I'm going to a house for you get out of it. What is death row been like, uh, since you- Oh, death row's me. a dying fire man. They let us out for an hour a day on the by ourselves. They won't let us out two at the time. They're One of us will try to kill somebody else. And there's only seven of us on males' death row, and there's one robbing their on females' death row. And you got a bed, you got a bunk bed, you got a toilet, you got a bin, got a shelf, two shelves. I got a TV, a radio, a fan, and a like, And a clock, oh yeah, and a clock. That's all I got. Do you think that you'll ever be executed, or do you think you'll just sit on death row until you die of natural causes? Well, there's another guy here named David Carr. He's from Canada. And I debuted him as too ill to execute. And eventually they'll send him to a state hospital and they'll probably conduct an allotment on or gives a head job or you just cut into the scalp, sew it back up, and only feel his pain in certain sectors and you're not gonna act certain ways.
1: Do you feel bad for what you've done?
2: Oh my god, man. I feel so bad what I did. And there's nothing I do about it. I apologize to Jeff Crane in Charter Springs when I was down there for a rescinding and he just said oh, low and get lost. So uh yeah, you know, every now and then I could tear it up. I remember what I did. I'm sorry about it. I can't do anything about it. Both girls are dead, you know. Do you, do you feel like escaping from the the state hospital was was a good idea looking back on it? No, it was bad. It was wrong with me. But I, they were going to get me a lot of me. Pre-spawned a lot of me, which was outlawed about two years after I fell in prison. And they were going to do that. And try to take down some of the disease portion of my brain, tell me back up and claim I'm in a state hospital for the rest of my life. So that's why I ran off. I changed my mind, if they want to turn into a state hospital conductor about me, I'm gonna let to do it. What kind of help do you get on death row now aside from medication for your mental illnesses? Do you are you in therapy? Do you get to attend groups and yeah, I'm in therapy where they uh you know, stuff like you did to Mike Myers on Halloween, uh, coloring, like your mother, father, you color all that stuff, you know, and then I've got uh, a book in here to read on uh, depression. Uh, they come to my cell door, the unit counselor with uh, the psych nurse, about once a week and ask me how I'm doing and stuff like that. Currently, I'm trying to get back to see uh, two... Which is a mental illness tier. I was there for two years. I and mean, then first I got out of my death sentence in, uh, 1993, you know. And then I was put back on death row. And then in, uh, 2006, they, uh, gave me another death sentence. My sentence wasn't vacated right anymore. And I said, I'd stay on death row. Anymore. So in 93, you got your death sentence in Idaho. Um, overturned on appeal and then in two thousand six your death sentence was reinstated. Is that what you're saying? Correct. How well do you understand all all your appeals and and all the proceedings? I try to read everything they said you now. So I'm pretty up on it with it. They talk to me once a week, I call my lawyers. They tell me what's going on. I try to keep up, you know. Sometimes I can, you know, I try to, I just can't comprehend stuff, you know. Yeah, you kinda of seem like you have the attitude now of whatever happens happened. That's kinda of where that's at. I'm sorry for what I did, but uh when I first got to person the Indiana militia was gonna bust me out and put me back to the state hospital if that didn't happen. And I want the folks out there in Radio Land and all and T V land. And I'm sorry for what I do if I can execute this too much. Because I've been suffering mm-hmm. enough with my mental in And uh that's not all I have
0: to say. So, Andrew. Yes. That was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting. He, uh, I don't know, man. He definitely, he definitely seems kind of mentally ill. It's, it, it, <sighs> We should point out that after the interview, he got a hold of you and was like, "Hey, I completely forgot. What I really want to get across is, I, I want it to be known that um, inmates in, in Idaho should, on death row, should be able
1: to smoke cigarettes." Yeah, he literally sent me a videogram, which is like a video message recorded. He sent me two. He sent me two actually within a, a week apart from each other, and his he's like his nose is like right in front of the camera too, and he's like, "Hey, Andrew." I just want to let you know that the conditions here are bad and we should be able to smoke cigarettes and we should be able to get better channels and blah, blah, blah. It's it's weird, man. He's picking some weird fights there. Her,
0: he he has some uh, – his priorities are a bit askew, I'd say. I think there's definitely much more pressing issues to fight for than death row inmates being able to smoke. But um, he, he felt it – I mean, he went out of his way to point that out, that he wanted us to mention that, which is, it's just strange to me. Yeah, it's its, it's an interesting case. He said he escaped from a, a mental institution before these murders, about 10 days before the first one. And then there is the second one. And it, it, you really wonder how much of a role mental illness played. Uh, he did mention a, a head injury when he was younger, being hit in the head with a brick and Who knows how that affected him, but I I don't know. I, 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 absolutely think there is mental illness at play, but I think he's trying to direct it towards, um, insanity, uh, not having legal culpability for the murders because he's this crazy person. I do think he's mentally ill. Do I think that he was, uh, in the throes of psychosis or couldn't appreciate, his actions or the consequences of his actions or cause and effect. I don't know, man. I I really don't know, but that seems to be what
1: he's holding on to. Yeah. What's interesting to me is he said that he was basically, he was sentenced to die in the metal institution and he escapes and he kills two people. And now he says that something to the effect, he shouldn't be on death row because he came from a state hospital.
0: Oh, and it was a legal issue and it's assault because he should be remanded to the hospital yet. He's being held in prison and that's somehow assault. And I, yeah, I didn't, I don't know. And he kept, he kept talking about getting a lobotomy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he said, actually, he said, that's why he's, he escaped before they could uh, make that decision and rambling about Francis farmer and how his situation was, I guess, (laughs) similar. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it was just very bizarre talking to him. And I, I haven't talked to him other than that one time. I may have talked to him once before briefly, Uh, Is he
1: like that all the time? I mean, he seems pretty out of it every single time he calls me. He'll every single time he'll want to ask me when it when it's come out. Um, He said that we're going to get I forget if it was thousands or or millions of uh, supporters. And he's going to make me rich, just like a few other people have said. But this dude is. Yeah, I was about I was about to say, in all fairness, a lot of them do say that. (laughs) Yeah, the guy's completely out there. What I found interesting was he claimed that Belinda wanted to kill him. And she had a thirty-eight special under her seat, but he had a crossbow. So how how is she gonna pull out a gun pointed at him and kill him while he's loading a crossbow? Because
0: well, I mean, he could have the
1: crossbow already, right? Loaded. But if she's reaching under her seat to shoot him, it's either then bam crossbow it's either her boom. Or me, so I just I just I just find it funny a cross, don't bring a crossbow to a gunfight, but this is the one. Well, he did, and he won. The thing is, he said
0: that he heard her conspiring to kill him. And what was that? Was that an auditory hallucination? Was it, did he really hear that? Was that real? Or was it just a delusion, something he thought of that actually never even happened? Or maybe even, I, a, I don't know. Maybe even ex- don't an excuse
1: know. just to kill her, maybe trying to garner sympathy maybe. And empathy from other people. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he is because if he's
0: on the run from a mental hospital... I don't think he's out killing people to get sympathy. I think he'd probably want to right. lay low, but I don't know, man. I, I, I kind of, I kind of lead lean towards the fact that these, these crimes were the result of mental illness. I don't want to say totally, but I, I don't know. Cause I don't know all the details and I don't know what happened in his court case, but he's, he's definitely mentally ill as far as how much and what, to what extent that played a role in his in his his crimes the murders he committed i have no idea it's 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 interesting in that regard we probably should have uh brought on one of our smart doctor friends but yeah we're so stupid we didn't even do that but maybe in the future we'll uh we'll talk about it on patreon with one of them or something but yeah crazy uh crazy interview and and interesting case not a lot of crossbow murders out there i just want to reiterate that so yeah uh ready to get out of here yep let's get out of here okay so everybody head over to patreon.com slash criminal perspective sign up for our classified episodes for 2.99 you can access our true crime gallery for five dollars which is pretty interesting you're going to want to check that out so head over and go do that now see you later